The gospel reading is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. I hope in this we can hear beyond the imperatives, God's invitation to trust his great love and um, his precious promises to care for us as his children. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet, as I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the gospel of the Lord. Good morning. So I was driving to church this morning, I realized it's been a month since I drove to church on a Sunday morning. Pretty wild. Um, it, was, uh, it was a good time away. Um, I'm happy to share pictures with anybody who asks. Uh, we have plenty. Um, these phones have uh, a lot of films, so uh, uh, there's a lot of pictures to be taken and shown. Um, Dave, I'm going to turn this, I'm going to, I think I'm going to use this uh, lapel mic. Uh, we'll see how that goes. But I'm glad to be here with you today, and um, happy Father's Day to all the dads, by the way. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your word and ask that you would speak through me this morning. Let the words come from you, and Lord, open our ears to hear them and to, to be shaped and changed by them. We pray that by your Holy Spirit and in your name, amen. Well, so we're taking this, this, uh, this passage here, comes out of the Sermon on the Mount, which is, is in a portion of Luke and also in most... Uh, um, I think the, the, the biggest portion of it is in the book of Matthew from chapters 5 to chapter 7. And although we're looking at a portion today that talks a lot about anxiety, this Sermon on the Mount starts off with talking about happiness or blessedness. I know that happiness sounds a little shallow. Some Bibles, I think the NIV may translate it happy. Um, Blesses the man, blesses the man. I think some Bibles uh, translate it happy. Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones, Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones, I'm sorry, in his book Studies in the Sermon on the Mount, uses 
the word happy. So I'm going to use the word happy to get us started. He does this study on the Sermon on the Mount, and he talks about taking the Sermon on the Mount in context. And he talks about, at the very beginning of it, the beginning, talking about the man who is blessed, the man who is happy in the Lord. And I want to start off with one of his quotes. He says this, Happiness is the great question confronting mankind. The whole world is longing for happiness, and it is tragic to observe the ways in which people are seeking it. The vast majority of people who are doing so in a way that is bound to produce misery. Anything which, by evading difficulties, merely makes people happy only for a short time, but will ultimately add to their misery and their problems. Dr. Jones goes on to say, that is where the utter deceitfulness of sin comes in. It's always offering happiness. Sin is always offering happiness, and it always leads to unhappiness and to final misery and wretchedness. The Sermon on the Mount says, however, that if you really want to be happy, here is the way. This and this alone is the type of person who is truly happy, who is really and truly blessed. So, what makes you happy? Have you thought about that lately? I'm sure you have. What are you pursuing? What do you seek after to make yourself happier or blessed in the Lord? You know what makes me happy? When everything goes the way I want it to go. When that happens, I'm happy. How about you? Isn't it interesting, though, that our happiness seems to be kind of fleeting? Even in times of great abundance, great success, our celebration, our happiness always seems to have an expiration date, doesn't it? Something always brings an end to our party. What things succeed in robbing you of your happiness? What things drive you crazy and ruin your day? For me, just the opposite. It's when things don't go as I plan. Or when I fear that things won't go as I plan. And that leads us to today's passage. So today, to close our series on drawing near, we're going to look at this portion of Christ's famous Sermon on the Mount, this small passage here. This passage, I believe, is one of the most important passages for those who are wanting to draw near to Christ. Primarily, verse 33, where he says, to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That's the crux, that's the heart of drawing near to our Lord. But before he gets there, Jesus talks a lot about anxiety. He says this in verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, about your body, what you're going to wear. Verse 26, he says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns that your heavenly Father feeds them. Verse 27, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? He goes on and on about anxiety. Verse 31, therefore do not be anxious. Notice this three times. Therefore do not be anxious, saying what should we eat or what should we drink or what should we wear. 
For the Gentiles or the nations seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. And then verse 34, one more time. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus starts this passage off with talking about the barrier to our happiness, the barrier to our peace, our blessedness, anxiety. The cause of the anxiety in this context is the inability to control that which we cannot control. That causes me anxiety all the time. To control, to try to control the thing that I cannot control. Does that sound accurate for you? Can you relate to that? You know, when going on this trip was just anxiety 101 for me. Because to go on this trip, to fly overseas, we realized that we had to take a COVID test. And now Christy went a week before I did, and me and the girls went, but we, she took her test, she was negative, she went on her way. I had to make sure all four of us were negative or we couldn't go on this trip. And I reminded my daughters of this quite frequently. Make sure you wear a mask. Everywhere you go, make sure, why are you going out to eat with them? You shouldn't be out there. You shouldn't be in this restaurant. I, I, I was really very anxious about this. And I was worried the day we got our tests, I'm just watching my phone for the email to come in. I, you know, I, said, I told them, if one of you, if one of you is positive, we can't go. It was really an anxiety-producing moment. And so, finally, we're all negative, hallelujah, we all went. And we had a great time. And then, we had to worry about coming back to the U.S. Do you know, if you come back to the U.S., you had to have a negative COVID test. And you had to take that one 24 hours before you left. And so, we had these uh, e-med tests that you do, that they're proctored over, over the internet. And we had them, and, and I was just nervous about getting those proctored correctly 24 hours before we left from Greece. And I was, I mean, Christy knows all too well how anxious I can get about some of these things and preoccupied. And, and what's crazy is we learned that they dropped the restrictions the very day that we left. They weren't even needed. We didn't even have to do it. What did my anxiety achieve for me? Nothing but a lot of pain. I so want to be in a place where I'm not anxious, where I don't worry about things that I can't control. How about you? Don't you long for a time of not having to be anxious about anything? I believe this passage can lead us to that place. I believe that's what Jesus is teaching us. He's teaching us that we don't need to be anxious, that we can get to that place. And we're going to see how. But before we do, before we get to the points, I'd like to just nail down a couple of definitions. First of all, the kingdom of God. This might be new to some people. What is the kingdom of God? When he says to seek first the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is very simply God's rule, God's ruling over his people to give yourself to the ruling of God and to subject yourself to his rule. Think about it. If somebody seeks to become a citizen of another nation, 
They are seeking to come under that nation's rule. I think about people who, who defect from, from North Korea. They want to leave the rule of North Korea and come under the rule of another nation and freely give themselves to that nation and to that government. Then he says, what the, then he says to seek first the kingdom of God. Now, what it means to seek first the kingdom of God is not seek first the kingdom and seek other things after, but to seek first, to seek only one rule in your life, only one king in your life, above all else, to seek God's kingdom, to subject yourself to his rule and only his rule. Jesus is calling us to make God our only king to subject ourselves completely to his rule and to place him above all else. One theologian warns us, he says, the main temptation is not to reject God outright, but when we're seeking God, the main temptation isn't to reject him, but the main temptation is to use God as something secondary, to have him as an instrument for our own ends. In other words, to kind of have God in your back pocket, but to keep ruling things yourself. The key here and what Jesus is calling us is no rule of ourselves but to go completely all in. So when seeking God's kingdom above all else, when we place everything else under God's kingship, I believe this passage teaches us that we'll discover three things. Number one, we're going to discover the true nature of anxiety. It's mentioned a lot in this passage we're going to discover the true nature of anxiety. Next, we're going to ex discover the true nature of provision. And third, the true nature of peace. So number one, to see our true nature of anxiety. Our anxieties can paint such a vivid picture. Think about this. The pictures that you paint in your mind that anxiety allows you to develop in your mind of what's to come, what might happen, the effects of what you did. You see those images in your head and you know and you begin to believe them, you dwell on it. It can paralyze us because we believe our anxieties and the false images that they feed us. And we believe those more than anything else. We can become obsessed with them to where we believe them more than anything else. So how does seeking God's kingdom show us the true nature of our anxieties? And by the way, when Jesus says, be not anxious, he's not simply saying to stop it. He's not saying, suck it up, stop being anxious. What he's saying is, you don't need to be anxious. And therefore, don't be anxious. So how does this help us to understand our anxiety in, in God's kingdom? He's telling his disciples and us. And those who are, who are curious, who are standing around following him, he's saying to examine, to consider. Consider the lilies. Look at the birds of the field, of, of the air. These three, therefores follow some truth about God's character and power. Think about this. In verse 25, he's, he's, he's following up what he just said about treasure in heaven. We didn't read that passage, but... He was talking about treasures in heaven versus uh, uh, worldly treasures. One of them rots. 
The other one is eternal. The heavenly treasures, those are what we are to seek. And therefore, don't be anxious. Verse 26 says to look at the birds. Verse 28 says to consider the lilies. Birds, they're not doing nothing. They still have to go out and get their food, but the heavenly Father provides for them. The lilies, they just sit there. The flowers of the field. Think about all the flowers you drive by on the freeway. Think about all the beautiful trees in the springtime that you drive by. The blossoms, the dogwoods, the, the red buds, the forsythias are so beautiful in the springtime, and who cares for those? Who cares for most of them? Most of them are just grown in the wild. And he's saying, look at those things. Look at those. And not only is he saying consider, he's saying think about it. This word consider is used only here in the New Testament, but it's a word that comes from the word for a disciple, for a student, for an apprentice. It's a word about that, that refers to learning, to examining and observing. Look at what my father is doing is what he's saying. Look at how he cares for the flowers of the field. Look how he feeds the birds of the air. Notice, think about this. Use your mind to, to build your faith. He's not saying to walk into this blindly. He's saying to think about it. He's inviting us to learn from God's care of his creation. He's inviting us to observe how God is with his creation and to apply that lesson to our lives and to our anxious hearts. He's giving us a reason for our faith here in order to gain a new perspective on those things that keep us up at night. One illustration I, I, comes from the music world. I love this illustration. Um, Herbie Hancock was a, uh, well, still is, um, pretty famous jazz keyboardist. Um, you might have heard of him. I know Bill has. Um, and Herbie Hancock started off probably back in the late 50s, early 60s, and he got a job playing with the famous, the giant Miles Davis, who was just from East St. Louis here. And Herbie was an incredible piano player. He played with an all-star band with Miles Davis. And Herbie Hancock talks about his time one night playing in Stuttgart, Germany with Miles Davis. Miles Davis was a master. And he was also a very intimidating leader. You don't want to mess up with Miles Davis. He was exacting. Uh, he was uh, just an incredibly gifted musician. Hancock talks about this night in Stuttgart, Germany. When he was playing, he, say, he describes it as the band just being tight. The, the music was hot, he said, and we were just having a great time. It was just awesome. And they were playing Miles Davis' famous song, uh, um, my goodness, now I just drew a blank. Okay, so what? That's what it's called, so what? Um, they're playing this, Miles Davis is soloing, and Herbie Hancock, out of the blue, hits a wrong chord. And, and the way he describes it, he says, it wasn't just a wrong chord like I knew it was a wrong chord, it was a bad chord and everybody knew it. And he goes on to say, I couldn't play. He said, I actually stopped and put my hands on my head. And he said, and what he knew, or what happened at that moment, in a second, Miles Davis stopped playing. 
for about a second. And then he played some notes that made Herbie's chords sound right. What he did was masterful. What he did was he, in some ways, Herbie's like, wow, thanks for saving me. <laughs> but he saved the song. And Herbie Hancock learned something there. He learned a life lesson he would never forget. Even though he was so upset he couldn't play for about a minute, because he had his own ideas of what was right and what was wrong. What I realize now was what Hancock says is that Miles didn't hear it as a mistake. He heard it as something that happened, as an event. And so that was part of the reality of what was happening at that moment. And he dealt with it. Since he didn't hear it as a mistake, he thought it was his responsibility to find something that would fit. Herbie Hancock learned from his experience with Miles Davis, his anxiety caused by thinking that he ruined the song was actually not necessary with Miles Davis in charge of the music. In fact, his mistake could not ruin the song with Miles Davis in charge of the music. From that point, Herbie Han Hancock had a new perspective on music, on what he thought were mistakes, and he played with a new sense of confidence from that point on. What does considering the lilies and the birds of the air do to help us not be anxious? Perhaps we can learn and begin to learn that what causes us anxiety, our mistakes, our bad decisions, our regrets, even our tragedies, and what we think is going to happen have a different meaning all have a different meaning in God's kingdom. Even more so than playing with Miles Davis because he was still a human being who made mistakes himself. The Apostle Paul learned this as well, didn't he? He learned this all throughout his time with the Lord, coming under the kingdom of Jesus. And he stated this kingdom perspective on our anxieties in this way. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. The verse that Peter says, he reminds his readers to cast all your anxieties upon the Lord because he cares for you. Now, although you and I rarely get to see what God does with our mistakes, tragedies, bad decisions, or, or anything else in real time, Jesus is teaching us that the power he demonstrates in creation is proof that he's got you. It's proof that he has us and is in control of our lives from the very beginning to the end. The more we see life from this kingdom perspective, the more we're able to cast our anxieties on him and trust that he is caring for us. When we cast our anxieties on him, then we discover the nature of his providence as well. Remember verse 26, he says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. He says in verse 30, But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? True provision comes from the power and love and wisdom of God. 
and not anything in our own power. You see, the problem with our anxiety is we think our anxiety is going to do something for us. It's why we stay anxious. It's why, why I, I dwell on my anxiety, because there's something in me that thinks that I can control this. There's something in me that thinks that I can provide something here. But our anxiety has no power to do anything but to steal our joy. Your anxiety will steal your joy. What's crazy is I don't have to tell you that because you already know it. I certainly know it. It steals our productivity. It steals our faith. That's why Jesus says, oh, you of little faith. Listen to what, I, I, listen to what Martin Luther wrote to his friend, Philip Melanchthon. Philip was feeling very anxious um, about the advancement of the gospel, uh, about the, the government coming down on the church of Christ. And Luther wrote a, a short letter to Melanchthon, to Philip, and he says, I'm hardly, I'm just going to read a few excerpts from him. He says, I am heartily opposed to your great anxiety, which, as you write, is weakening you, that it is conquering you completely. It's due not to the importance of the affair, but to the extent of your unbelief. Why do you fret so always without ceasing? Throw your care upon the Lord, he says. The Lord is near to all sorrowful hearts that call upon him. And he says this, your philosophy, therefore, is plaguing you, not your theology. The same is gnawing at the heart of your friend, as though either of you could accomplish anything with your useless anxiety. I beseech you, who are so efficient in combat in all other things, fight against yourself, for you are not your own, for you are your own worst enemy because you give Satan so many weapons against yourself. Christ died once for sins, but for justice and truth, he will not die. Rather, he lives and he reigns. Truly, I pray diligently for you, Philip, and it pains me that you suck anxiety into yourself like a blood leech and make my prayer so powerless. Whether it is stupidity or the Holy Spirit, that my Lord Christ knows. But truly, I am not very anxious about this matter. I have more than I would ever thought to possess. God can raise the dead. He can also preserve his cause. Even if it falls, when it is fallen, he can raise it up again. And when it stands fast, he can prosper it. If he should not be capable of effecting this end, then let it be brought by others. Those are powerful words from Luther. Luther was uh, not one to beat around the bush either, as you could tell. But sometimes we need that language. Sometimes we need to hear straight language about the kingdom and about our own hearts. It says that the root of, of our anxiety is unbelief. Christ mentions that D.A. Carson, um, one theologian, says the root of anxiety is unbelief. And I was thinking about that to myself, and I thought, well, I don't know if that's true. And I had to think, because sometimes it's, I, I feel like I still believe in God, I still believe in his plan, I still believe that he is sovereign over all things, but for me, I don't trust where he's leading my life. I'm afraid of where he's going to take me, where he's going to lead me, where he's going to take my family. But the bottom line still comes down to unbelief that what he's doing with me, what he's doing with my family is good. 
It's not trusting. And I pray that he would increase my faith, that I would trust him in what he does with me, what he does with my family, that I would trust him completely. One last thing on, on the providence of God, on the provision. Tim Keller shares a story about Queen Elizabeth I. Queen Elizabeth I was in um, the 16th century. She lived in the late 1500s. And she, asked, she once asked a man to be a part of an ocean voyage to the New World. This man, who was very valuable, and he would have been a very valuable team member to the crew because of his skills. And Queen Elizabeth wanted him to be a part of this voyage to the New World. When asked, the man looked at the ground and he respectfully declined. He told her that he was a small businessman and that his business was not established enough to leave for that length of time. It would be more assuredly, it would sink and he could not afford that kind of financial loss. Have you ever felt that if you follow God's call? if you sought him completely, that he was going to take you somewhere that was going to cause great financial loss. This businessman certainly felt that before the queen. And Queen Elizabeth looked at him and said, my dear friend, you mind my business and I'll mind your business. Immediately all the fear left him. Here is Queen Elizabeth, a monarch of absolute power and wealth. If I mind her business, she will mind mine, he said. It didn't guarantee that he would have a smooth sail across into the, into the new world. There'd be danger, there'd be pain, there'd be risk. But she promised as the all-powerful monarch of that nation that she was going to take care of his business, that she was going to take care of him. He grew to trust the one who was over the kingdom. Even more so, how much more can we trust the creator, the God of the universe, who calls us to submit ourselves to him? Joseph knew that suffering. Joseph knew the, prov the provision of God throughout his time. He grew to know it. He grew to learn that what God called him to do, even through suffering, even through sitting in prison, even through being falsely accused, subjected to unfair treatment. Yet he was able to say it at the end in Genesis 50 to his brothers, he said, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. Romans, 8, 30, uh, Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul once again knew very well the pains, the suffering that came with serving his Lord. And he said this, in verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, or danger, or sword? No, in all these things, verse 37, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul grew to knew that, to know that through subjecting himself over and over to the rule of Christ and seeing that he delivered every single time. 
Imagine knowing and trusting your Lord to that extent. In all these things to where you could rest. Because when you get to that place, when you're able to trust the Lord in all times, in all trials, then you discover the true nature of peace. The true nature of that happiness that Christ is talking about, that blessedness that he talks about at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. When he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. All these things you worry about, all these things that you, that you feel you have to dwell on, that you have to be preoccupied about, that you have to just isolate yourself and put yourself to the, to the task of worrying. He's saying that's ridiculous. It's not necessary. Because when you subject yourself to me, Jesus says, all these things, the things that matter will be added unto you. And Paul went on in the book of Philippians to echo these words. When he tells the Philippians in chapter 4, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And what will happen when you do that? And the peace of God which goes beyond our understanding, which goes beyond our anxiety and our worry and everything else, it's going to guard your hearts and it's going to guard your minds in Christ Jesus. That peace comes from knowing your king, knowing that your anxiety is not necessary because he has you no matter what. And we could say, Lord Jesus, not my will, but yours be done. Where are you going to be a year from now? Where are you going to be five years from now? Where's God leading you? What, what has you anxious right now? I can give you a list of things that have me anxious right now. But this is preaching to me just <laughs> maybe even more so. Where will this church be in five years? Where will it be next year? I don't know. And you want to know something? You don't either. But praise God, we know the one who does know. It really isn't for us to know. But one thing we're called to do is to seek his kingdom, to seek his kingdom and his righteousness, to do that beyond anything else, to do that beyond our worrying about what's going to happen here, what's going to happen with our job, what's going to happen with anything else, and to draw near to our Lord and trust him. That's the only way that's the only way to perfect peace, to perfect blessedness. And may we seek to do the Lord's business and to trust him to care for ours no matter what comes our way. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your words. Lord, we struggle with this. Anxiety and worry is so sometimes addicting. Help us to trust you. Help us to trust you and to rest in you that we may cast all of our anxieties upon you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.